As you can imagine, there was quite a lot to get done this week in going to the Holy Land where many teachings must be given, and so they have to be prepared. And so I have a guest speaker uh, this morning to help me and the pastors to be able to prepare this last week. And so I thank Alan Haley, who's been a dear friend, Alan and Terry and their family for over 10 years, just really close friends. Uh, He's been a senior pastor. They had a church plant in the area several years ago. And so uh, he also graduated from the same seminary as I Uh, Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's been doing pastoral counseling uh, for years and years and years. In fact, uh, he and his wife started that ministry, uh, Matters of the Heart, a marriage uh, therapy, counseling, seminar, conference kind of thing, and uh, just wonderful. When I was asked to describe his ministry, I said, you know, it's, uh, he brings really warm, encouraging words, because he's a warm, encouraging man of God. And so welcome to the platform, my friend, Alan Haley. Thank you. This one? All right. Well, good morning. morning. What an honor to be able to stand up here. And... uh, Fill the shoes of Ross Reinman. What an honor. You know, it's kind of funny. This morning I walked in and uh, stood in the back and I said, you know, I'd like to have a wireless mic if I could. And they were great. They said, oh, a wireless mic. They had to go back somewhere and find it, I guess. And Ross comes in and he says, a wireless mic? You're going to use a wireless mic? And he looked at me, and I said, yeah, I enjoy walking around, I think, and I, you know, all those kind of things. And he said, I'd never do a wireless mic, you know? What happens if you're out on the middle end like this and you lose your train of thought? (laughs) And I said, you had to put that in my mind, didn't you? (laughs) You had to put that in my mind. So it was funny because he says he never goes with a wireless mic. So those of you that go into Israel, guess what? He's going to be speaking. You're going to be packing this baby. You're going to be carrying it around with you all over Israel. Hallelujah. All right. Well, in this, uh, getting ready for this message, and believe me, when he asked me a, a few days, uh, what was it, 10 days ago or something, I said yes, and a, immediately a scripture came to mind that I was gonna use, so I said, okay, that's great. And you know, what happened, it's amazing how God weaves all these things in during the weeks and the days, and uh, a few weeks ago, I took a group of guys, and we went backpacking. And uh, my son and some friends and different things, and we got up there, and we had this time where we kinda shared some things about our life. And I shared a story that I'd like to share with you this morning. It was back when I was in junior high. Remember junior high? (laughs) Yeah, listen, seventh grade. I had just entered into this huge junior high from this nice, quaint, small elementary school where everything was safe, was nice. And I go to this junior high, I'm, I'm living down in the East Bay. This junior high is like 10 times as big, seventh and eighth graders, 
and I'm this new junior hire, and within the first week, I have to go to my PE class, and guess what PE is? It's wrestling. <laughs> and they set us down, and they say, we're gonna wrestle, we gotta weigh each of you in, and those of you that don't know, when I got weighed in at seventh grade, I was a pretty pudgy, chuggy, chunky little boy. So I weighed a lot at that time. And so he goes, okay, Haley, let's look. Yeah, you do weigh a lot, Haley. Okay, sit over there. So he sits me over there. And then it was a few minutes later, he starts calling people out. He goes, Haley, you're up. I go, I'm kind of nervous. And he calls this other guy's name. And this other guy comes out onto the mat. An eighth grader. The biggest, strongest, meanest. The guy's got man hair. In eighth grade. And I'm looking out on that mat, and he's staring at me, just licking his chops. And I'm going, there's no way. There is no way. And inside, I'm dying. I'm as scared as a little seventh grader can possibly be. And you know what happened then? Before I knew it, I burst out into tears in seventh grade. I burst out into tears. And I couldn't go out there. And finally, the PE coach said, okay, Haley, forget it. We won't but I'll tell you what, the next few weeks, that was the most humiliating, embarrassing. You imagine a seventh grade guy breaking out in tears, the ridicule and everything that I, ab I got abused. And I vowed at that moment, and I remember, I said, you know what, nobody's gonna see inside of me. Nobody's gonna see the weaknesses, the fears, the anxieties that I have ever again. I'm gonna be strong, I'm gonna be I'm gonna put on a front that nobody will ever penetrate. And I'm gonna not show any of my weaknesses. And you know, that is something when I became a Christian in college that God had to deal with and is still dealing with to this day. And Paul, in the passage we're gonna look at this morning, is gonna deal with that actual topic also. And so what I'd like you to do is take your Bibles and let's turn to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 12. And we're going to see what Paul has to say about those times when we are just scared to death, when we are, as he says it, weak, when we are falling apart and we can't make it happen and we are struggling. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll start with verse 1. And here's what it says, and I'll be reading out of the NIV. So Paul says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions, revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I sh should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think of more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Now here's the section we're gonna focus in on this morning, the next few verses. So Paul, in the midst of this, comes to this conclusion, to keep me from becoming conceited 
because of these surpassingly, surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace, and this is what I want you to do this morning. I want you to read this next line and let it burn into you because this is what I want you to carry away after this morning. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, in this time in his life, was facing an environment and a culture that was all about self-promotion. It was all about how good you can look, how, how good your clothes are, and how well-dressed you are, and how many degrees you had, and, and just influencing people, and the power, and prestige, and, and super apostles, as they were called. And some of the Christian church was getting diverted away and following after these people and saying, well, they must have the truth because, man, look how good they look on the outside and how well they sound. And they start following them. And Paul says, you know, that, in the midst of that environment, sound, sound a little familiar to what we have to face? Okay? It's not much farther than what we're still struggling with in the society we live in. And, and, and Paul, in, that, in the beginning of this section, says, you know what, I don't like to do this. This is not God's design. But if somebody's going to boast, I have a lot to boast about. I had a revelation. God spoke to me directly, and I can do this. But I'm not, I'm not going to play this game. This is not God's game. God's game is about weaknesses and how he uses weaknesses to show his power and to transform us and to impact the world. Okay? So the first point this morning in this passage is we need to face our weaknesses. We need to face our weaknesses, guys. We need to face up to our weaknesses. We're all weak. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're sheep, guys. Let's just... Let's just admit that this morning, okay? You wanna bow a little bit? Bah! Okay, let's do it. We're all in the same boat, we're all in the same pen, and sheep are not that smart, okay? Sheep are anxious, sheep are fearful, sheep get their heads stuck in the fence, okay? And the bottom line is we are sheep and we need to face the fact that we are in the flesh, we are weak even though we think we're strong and we need to, as Paul says here, face that, come to grips with it and accept that, that we are never gonna be free from this body of flesh that is weak and broken and hurting and is prone to hurt other people and we're gonna do things that we don't intend to do, okay? So, with that, Paul says, calls it in this passage, he's, he calls it for his weakness, he calls it a, a thorn in the flesh. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, and I asked the Lord to take it away from me. What does he mean by a thorn in the flesh? Okay? Commentators have said that the thorn in the flesh is not real specific, it just means it's a lot of discomfort, there's a lot of pain involved, 
And, you know, it was something that held him back. Something inside of him that held him back and kept him from doing what he wanted to do. And he called it a thorn in the flesh. And he went on to say, it's a messenger from Satan. But it was given by God in a sense at the beginning. I was given this as a messenger. This is kind of an interesting one for us, okay? Throughout the Bible, you know, the enemy comes in, torments us. The enemy causes problems, but yet it was from God. You can look back in Job and you can see there's this, you know, Job was, you know, was hit and and all the pain and hurt and suffering that came into his life was really from the enemy, but God allowed it. So I don't have enough time to go into this, but this is a basic truth. It seems like two parallel lines, but it really is the truth of the Bible that God uses the enemy and the pain that he brings and the discomfort that he brings to wake us up, to torment us. The word torment means slap in the face. And it was given to him. You know, this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at Safeway. And um, I'm standing in line in the fast line, okay? <laughs> 15 items or less or whatever they call that. So I'm thinking, and I'm kind of in a hurry. So I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I'll get in here, get out of here, you know. I'm about four people back. And here's this lady up in front. And she's chatting away, chatting. Sorry about all your chatters, but she was chatting away. <laughs> I'm in a hurry. I'm looking at this. I'm getting a little, you know, frustrated. Then she finally gets the, you know, she says, okay, it'll be whatever, however much money. So I'm thinking, oh, great. She just pull your cart, slide it, dip, dip, and you're out. Good, good. No, she pulls out a checkbook. <laughs> How many people use checkbooks these days anymore, huh? She pulls out the checkbook. Then she has to sit there and write, and she writes as slow as can be. And my... My, my level is just bubbling like this, you know? And then she finally gets it and she tears it off as slow as anybody's ever teared it off. <laughs> Hands it over and then she's gotta register it in the back. And, I'm, and I'm, for, I'm just sitting there huffing and puffing and I'm getting all the approval from everybody around me. Yeah, this is, this is frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, 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 I can't believe this, you know? And so I'm feeling pretty good. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm laying it out there, okay? And then I figure, okay, finally she's going to be done. And then the lady goes, oh, you wrote the check for 15 cents too, not enough. Oh, by that time, she starts reaching into this deep, you know, purse, you know, trying to, I say, forget, I reach in my pocket and I throw a quarter up on, I said, use that. And just at that minute, everybody looked at me. And it was like God used that moment to just slap me right across the face and say, Alan, what's going on? What's going on? What's happening? And you know, that's the, that's the way God works. God uses situations and circumstances to really get down to the heart of what's down there. The Bible says that a fool puts up a bold front but a man of understanding gives thought to his ways. Why do I do what I do? Why do I react in those situations the way I react? What's going on, Lord? What's deep in the heart? And I think Paul was here in this thorn in the flesh. The good thing is, is that the thorn in the flesh is never identified because if it was identified, you and I'd say, oh, I don't have that problem. I don't have that problem. That was just Paul. He leaves it wide open. What is the thorn in the flesh? 
But the bottom line is the thorn in the flesh is something that may be external, but it's talking and speaking to an internal difficulty and weakness and brokenness that's down there. Think about this even with Paul here. What does he say? Why does he have the thorn in the flesh? What's the word? Conceited. To keep me from being conceited. There's even speculation that Paul was an angry man. I mean, he had a blowout with Barnabas and Mark, right? So he had some issues. He had some difficulties, some things he was struggling with. He even said in Romans 7, I don't do the things I want to do, but I do the things I don't want to do. I mean, here he is, an apostle, and he's struggling with his weaknesses. So who do you and I think we are that we're going to say, I don't have any weaknesses. Yeah, that's not a big problem. I'm okay. Reality is no. We all have weaknesses and they show up every single day. And if you don't think you have a weakness, I ask you to, like the psalmist said, Lord, search me, test me, try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. We gotta be about self-scrutiny. We gotta be asking God to dig deep in our heart and find out what dark places are in our heart that need to be healed. Things that we do to other people to hurt other people and things other people do to hurt us that make weakness and make vulnerability in our heart that God wants to bring to life and shine a light on and then do some miraculous work. What does he wanna do? Two things, Paul says. He says, my, he wants us to experience God's grace because God's, God's, it says in this passage, my grace is sufficient for you. And the second thing is power is perfected in weakness. Memorize that verse, guys. Memorize that little section right there. It's going to come in handy because you are, the moment you walk out of here, you're probably going to have some, something's going to flare up. <laughs> the drive home, right? Any kind of stressors, any kind of difficulty. You can't control things all the time. So if it, you know, those of you that like to control things, if it gets out of control, you know, I was thinking today, uh, you know, my wife's at a conference and um, at home, I can kind of put everything where I want it. <laughs> Leave a few dishes out when I want them. I've got the space pretty controlled. I'm feeling pretty good. But as soon as she comes home or as soon as somebody disrupts it, guess what? my weaknesses start to bubble up inside of me and they start to come out. But Paul says, my grace is sufficient in this passage, in the midst of those weaknesses, in the midst of that thorn in the flesh. My grace, what is God's grace? What is God's grace? Think about it. In fact, I would challenge you that if you got an opportunity, I did this as I was doing this message. I went on to a, a Blue Letter Bible it's a couple, there's some Bible ver, uh, uh, websites that you can go on to and you can actually put the word grace in and it'll populate with all the f- verses with grace and just read through grace, the grace of God. What is the grace of God? Let me give you this definition which I think is just awesome. My, the grace of God. Grace is the undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor and love of God in action. It means he loves us, is pleased by us, no matter what we do or don't do. Grace means that God likes us, that he is favorable, disposed towards us. We have his approval and promise of care. 
In John 1, it says, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only God who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I don't think we know enough about the ocean of God's grace that is accessible for us, that is, in this passage, is sufficient. You know what the word sufficient means? Enough. Enough for anything. Enough for anything we've done in the past. Enough for anything we've done today. And enough for anything that we'll do in the future. His grace is sufficient to meet all those needs. The hurts you cause other people, the hurts that other people have caused us. And so when I think of the word sufficient, you know what I think of? The word insufficient. Insufficient. You and I are insufficient. But it also makes me think of going online on my bank account. Because every once in a while, I'll look on there and I'll go, I'll get mad. Because there's this little fee, and it's not little anymore, that says insufficient funds. Insufficient funds. I'm out there doing my thing, and I'm living my life, and I'm trying the best I can to organize my finances, and Invariably, you know, some bill like PG&E that I have on a regular comes, you know, flying in and then, boom, before I know it, I'm, I'm overdrawn. I have insufficient funds. Okay? So at that time, what do I do? I try to, you know, my best way to try to, you know, make everything work and all that kind of stuff in my own energy. And, and anyway, the, I, I, I try to put it back together, but I fail over and over again at different times. And it's insufficient funds. But think of God's grace in this way, that God came, it would come to the, your bank, and by his death on the cross, he paid and he deposited into the bank an endless, sufficient amount of money so that every time you overdrew, you could tap into that and take care of it. Every time someone didn't pay you and you didn't have the money, you could tap into that and pay that because there are so many things that we do that hurt people and people hurt us. Think about it, that you can never repay. Even though somewhere in our minds we think we can repay it, somewhere we think, oh, well, they're gonna owe me and, and somehow that hurt that they did, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna exact it out of them some way, shape, or form. Or I'm going to, you know, I hurt somebody else, some way I'm gonna pay them back by doing them good deeds or whatever. And the Bible says, no, you're insufficient. You have insufficient funds, but fortunately, God made the deposit into the bank that we can draw on at any time. Now, I wanna stop here and make sure we understand this, okay? Because whenever we talk about the grace of God in his unmerited favor, there will be people that say, well, I know people that take advantage of that. They just think they can go out and live their life freely and God's grace will cover them. God's grace will take care of everything. They can be as mean and ornery as they want to and selfish and everything else. What does Romans 6 say? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. You see, you can't properly understand grace until you properly understand the cost that Jesus went through 
to, to fill that bank account. He paid everything. The God of the universe came down in human flesh, as, as, as Philippians said, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and shame of the death and the whole experience for our sake so that our bucket and our bank account and the ocean of grace would be available to us. But if you lightly take the grace of God and you flippantly take the grace of God, something's wrong, something's amiss. Jesus told a parable. He said, you know, there's this one guy went to his master and his master looked at the account and said, man, there's too much, you can't pay me back, so I'm gonna set you free. And what did the guy go out and do? Found the first person owed him some money and choked him and said, demanded his money back. Did that guy understand grace? Didn't understand grace. And you know, the more we are gra understand grace and the more we absorb grace into our heart and life, and we realize that he has, this he has this love towards us, the more graceful we're gonna be towards other people. If you have a hard time being graceful to other people's weaknesses, chances are there may be a breakdown in the grace that you need to receive from God and from Jesus. So, this passage, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. And the second thing he says, oh, and by the way, I wanna point this out before we move on. He said, my grace is, is sufficient. You know what that means? Today, right now, okay? My grace is, is today. See, we as, as Christians, a lot of times we know in order to become to Christ, you've got to come to the end of yourself basically and say, you know what, I can't do this. I've made too many mistakes, I've blown it, I've hurt too many people, and I have messed up my life take control of my life, Jesus, and we understand grace at that point, but living the Christian life, somewhere it gets lost. Somewhere in this Christian life, we think we've got to, to do better. We've got to do it right. We've got to put more energy into it and, and, and fix it. And the Bible says right here, and Paul's trying to emphasize to us, his grace is today in the midst of what you're going through, is sufficient. You need to jump into that ocean. When you stumble and fall for whatever reason, jump into the ocean of grace, the first thing, and get bathed. And know that Jesus paid it so that we could have an ocean like that that we could jump into and bask in and lavish in. My grace is sufficient for you. Doesn't say for me or for Paul. He didn't, Paul didn't say it's sufficient for me. Paul, he said it's for you. You and me. It's sufficient. And once you do that, once you bathe in that sufficiency of his grace, guess what the second part of that verse says? God's power is perfected in weakness. God's power, his power that you see throughout the whole Bible, his power that opened the Red Sea, that parted the Red Sea, his power that stopped the sun, his power that healed the, the, the death, wrote, you know, healed the, the sick and, and, and helped help the blind man to see and raised the dead, all that power. But, but that power that he's talking about here is the power, I believe, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes into our life, that lives inside of us now, that now indwells us and wants to help us mold us, shape us, and make us new. To give us the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's that Holy Spirit that's inside of us. You know, a pound, you know, clay. Bible uses a lot of references about he's the potter, we're the clay. 
Well, the clay is workable and shapeable and moldable as long as it hasn't been, you know, as long as it hasn't become hard and, and, and brittle and resistant. It, it's moldable. And that's the way we've got to remain, is that as we remain moldable in God's hands, he can shape us, he can fill us with his power, he can do, we can do things that we never thought possible. Not too long ago, I'm riding in the car with my wife, and we're late for an appointment, and um, she looks at me and she says, Alan, can you uh, step on it and go a little faster? We're running late. And I looked at her and I said, you know, if you had gotten ready on time, we would be there by now. <laughs> Best thing I could have ever said, right? <laughs> Best thing I could ever say. You know, it's not funny, under stress again, here I am. This is, this is a theme, I'm seeing something in me, okay. <laughs> so she looks over at me and she says, you know what, I choose not to respond to that comment. And she smiles at me. And at that moment, a mirror is put up in my face and I just go, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And later, when we got there, she told me, she said, Alan, you know, when I did that, that was like a supernatural power that kind of came through me to not respond to you back and say something back to you, to, to, to grace you and to love you and to, and to treat you kindly in that moment. And we've all at different times had experiences where the power of God being perfected in us, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We just got to get out of the way. We got to let his power move in us. And his power, he says, is perfected in weaknesses. As we, as we really scrutinize our life and we're honest with our weaknesses and we're we're not hiding our weaknesses. We're not ashamed of our weaknesses. That's when the power of God can work through us. You know, many of you have heard of the, the name Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a uh, special counsel to President Nixon back in the 70s when the Watergate scandal came down. Now, some of you may be younger, may think, what the heck is that guy talking about? <laughs> but uh, Chuck Colson was one of the right-hand men of the president back when President Nixon, the Watergate scandal, and it was, I won't go into the whole thing, but anyway, led to his impeachment. Well, Chuck Colson was the first guy to go to prison for all this stuff that went on. He went to prison, and in prison, he had an experience with God, and the grace of God overwhelmed him, and in, in this a most humiliating, embarrassing moment in his life, God used it to turn him around and put him in charge, and he actually developed prison fellowship, which today ministers to so many different prisoners and has for years. And so out of, the, out of Chuck Colson's weakness, God used his power to transform him and to transform prisoners down through down through the years. So it's just amazing that that is the truth. When we are weak, then we are strong. And as he says here, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So therefore, guess what our job is? You know what the next verse says? What does it say? Boast about your weaknesses. Therefore, we're to boast about our weaknesses. What does that mean? to boast about your weaknesses. That means not to hide your weaknesses. 
Not to rationalize away your weaknesses, not to blame other people for your weaknesses, not to, to hide. You know, in the, in the, back in Genesis, when, when Adam and Eve fell, what was the first thing they did after they fell? They went and hid. And God said, where are you? Where are you? And this morning, he's calling out to some of us here, where are you? I know you're shamed by your weaknesses. I know you're struggling with things. And I know you've hurt people badly. You've hurt yourself. Where are you? Don't hide from me. Come out. Talk about those things. Be real. Be vulnerable about your weaknesses. He even uses the word boast, which means put a spotlight on it and be willing to, to, to deal with those, weakness, those weaknesses in our life in an honest and thorough way so that God can get the glory. For Christ's sake is what it says. So, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 says, and so it is with me, Brothers and sisters, when I came to you, and this is Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence, human wisdom, to proclaim to you the testimony about our God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with fear of trembling, and my message and preaching were not in wise and persuasive words, but by the demonstration of God's power, so that your faith may rest not on human wisdom, but on God's power." Acknowledge and boast about our weaknesses. Ross had said earlier that Terry and I do a marriage ministry and it's called Matters of the Heart and we actually had a great opportunity to meet with some of you in November to do a, a workshop. And um, one of the things um, way back when we started this ministry was I got a nudge from God that says, you know, if you're gonna do this, you have to be real and honest about your marriage. And I said, no way. I make too many mistakes. I blow it in too many ways. And we have a history, those of you that don't know it. We were separated apart for six years. And finally, with God's grace, we got back together and we've been building ever since. But that's an ugly time. That's an embarrassing time. That's a humiliating time. And God had said to me in going down this path, yeah, you're going to use that. I'm gonna use that. You need to talk about that. You need to be real about that. You need to be honest about that with people, with struggling people. Because we're all in a hospital, we're all sick, we're all hurting, and we all need to, you know, AA meetings. What do they do when you go to AA meetings? Hi, my name's Alan Haley, I'm an alcoholic. I mean, there, and in some sense, we need to do that with each other here in the, in the church. We need to go up and say, you know, my name's Alan Haley and I'm pretty impatient. You know, I'm pretty impatient. I'm pretty self-sufficient a lot of times too. We need to acknowledge these things, bring these things down to light. Let God work his, his unbelievable magic and power in our lives. But we can't do it if we, if we hold on to it or if we're ashamed of it or we try to compensate for these things. We need to bring him out and lay him at his feet and accept the grace that he's got given us and then he'll empower us to break through, to break through some of those weaknesses. Some of them he'll, you know, he'll let you stick with because he's gonna continue to teach you some things, but boast in your weaknesses. Jeremiah 9 says this, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and knows me 
that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So boasting in our weaknesses. And the last part of this section, and we'll wrap it up after this, is what does Paul say here at the end? Most gladly, therefore I'll boast about, most gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in my weaknesses. Guess not, we're not only supposed to boast about our weaknesses, but we're supposed to delight in our weaknesses. Does that mean we run around, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm so glad, I'm so impatient. I delight in my impatientness. No, you don't sing and, you know, but the concept is I can delight in my weaknesses because I know that God has a bigger purpose and that this weakness is really drawing me closer to his feet and his grace and that he's going to do something powerful through that weakness that'll bring glory to him, not glory to me. Glory, that's what this world is all about. Glory to me. I want glory. I want people to look at me. I want people to notice me. And we get caught up in that. We're in this society. And God says, it's 180 degrees different in my, in my game plan. It's 180 degrees different. So we need to delight in our weaknesses for Christ's sake because the bottom line is when I'm weak, then I am strong. Let me wrap up with this little story that happened to me probably about three or four months ago. Wake up in the morning go in the bathroom, and my ceiling has got all wet, and there's this drip coming down. And I'm going, oh no. I said, oh, tell my wife, you know, I'm bummed about this, it's gonna take a lot of work, but that's okay, I can do it. I can handle this. So I tear everything down, get up in there, you know, get online, YouTube, Googling, how do you fix roofs? Okay, I got it, all right. So I spent probably three weeks, or. Yeah, three weeks trying to do it, putting patches, doing all kinds of stuff. Get up in the morning, drip, drip, drip. <laughs> so I'm getting frustrated. So finally I decide, okay, I'm, I talked to my dad. He just called and I was telling him my frustration and he said, oh, maybe you should call a roofer. <laughs> Remember, I struggle with self-sufficiency and independence. Maybe you should call a roofer for some help. I can handle this. So another few days go by and finally I say, okay, I gotta call a roofer. So I call a roofer, two roofers, they come out, they estimate it, one guy said, oh, no way. The other guy said, yeah, you're on, so come on. So we set up an appointment, he doesn't show. Yeah. Call him up, give him a little grace, because I'm full of grace now. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, buddy, no problem, just come on out again. He doesn't show up again, I'm going, dude, what is going on? And now I'm really upset and I'm really frustrated and I finally call him out and just, you know, tell him, you know, forget it. This is not working. And I'm lamenting and I happen to lament in front of one of my friends and he said, hey, I know a roofer. He says, here's his number, call him. So I called him. He came out the next day, did it for half the price. But the interesting thing about this whole event was that in the midst of his fixing my roof, he looks at me, he says, Alan, you're a pastoral counselor, pastor. I say, yeah. He says, I need to talk to you. I go, okay, let's sit down and talk. He lays out what's going on in his life right now where he had, the night before, he didn't go home to his wife because he had just done the worst thing that he could ever imagine. He lost about $30,000 of their money with a gambling problem. And he says, 
I didn't go home last night. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sick about what I just did and how I hurt my family and everybody else. And I looked at him and I said, man, let's, the grace of God is sufficient for this. The grace of God is sufficient. Let's talk about it. You need to go back to your wife. You need to do this. Anyway, we spent probably an hour and a half talking. He went back to his wife and I talked to him recently and things are on the uphill with him and his wife. And that was the power of God, the moment of God, in that moment happening because I got to the end of myself, okay? And God said, and it's a reminder, I see the little patch up there where he worked, I go, that's a, okay, I, uh, yeah, I get that message. That's your self-sufficiency, Alan, that I'm trying to work on. But the coolest thing about this, the coolest thing about this story <clears throat> is that when he was leaving, he said to me, Alan, do you know that if you had called me one day earlier, I wasn't ready to share all this that was happening in my life. I would have come in here, done your roof, and walked away. I wouldn't have been broken. I wouldn't have been applied. So I'm looking at, okay, God. <laughs> so this is why I had to wait five weeks and mop up the floor 20 times and struggle through this whole roof thing so that you could get this guy ready for the moment that we, our paths crossed. And I said, thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word that is so rich and speaks right to our hearts. And this morning, your grace is sufficient. We learned that. Power is perfected in weakness. That you, when we are weak, then we are strong. And that's so different than the world that we live in and the way we grew up and, the, and kind of our wiring. And Lord, you're, you, you want us this morning to be a, a people of boasting in our weaknesses, not afraid to share our weaknesses, being honest with each other. That's how we came to Christ. Now we need to live that way as Christians. And Lord, this morning as I think about this group here, is there, if there's anybody here that has not given their life over to you, Jesus, that they haven't really grasped the depth and the breadth and the height of your grace, they're still trying to do it on their own, I pray this morning that you would prompt them and that they would say, that's what I want. I want a relationship with Jesus where he can forgive me and grace me and power me. And so if that's you this morning here, I'm gonna ask you in the quietness of your heart just to tell him that in your own words, that I want you. I want you, come into my life. Help me, help me to know the grace that you have for me. And when we break a little bit later, I'm gonna ask you to go up to a, somebody and tell them. Say, this is what I wanna do. This is my new decision and I, help me. That's another part of weakness. Help me, asking for help. And so, Lord, just love you and praise you for the work you do in our hearts and in the hearts of a group this size. In your name we pray, amen.